This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. This is your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. The annual One Book, One Community events on the University of Arkansas campus are getting underway this week. Andrew Bluley. The author of Firekeeper's Daughter will deliver a free lecture tomorrow night at 6 at the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. And Thursday, there will be a lunch panel discussion with her and other indigenous authors. That's going to be moderated by Dr. Ben Ramirez in Arkansas Union Rooms 512 and 513. Ahead this hour, The Stable is a marketing agency who is launching a program called No College, No Worries here in Northwest Arkansas. I spoke to CEO Chad Hetherington and Grace Slaybaugh, the company's first member of this program. That conversation in about 12 minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. We start by considering housing in Northwest Arkansas. The housing crisis among the Marshallese community in Northwest Arkansas received more attention during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Officials say language barriers, difficulty adjusting to the housing system, and people not knowing their tenant rights ensures that the problem lingers. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports. Marcina Langren and Trina Marty have not opened the Marshallese Education Initiative yet. It's about two hours before the initiative opens in Springdale, and adults are patiently sitting outside the door as a child plays in the white tiled hallway. Marty is the initiative's women's advocacy program coordinator, and Langren is the program manager and coordinator. The initiative offers educational and health-oriented programs along with utility and rental assistance, trainings, interpreter services, and teaches about the consequences of climate change and of the U.S. nuclear bomb testing on the Marshall Islands. Marty says it's a tight-knit community. Like, it's hard for them, but going back, you know, multiple gener- uh, generational, like, households, they've always, like, I don't know what it is, but we find someone to stay with for a good time as we catch up, and, you know, they just, I think we just all help each other is what it is, just to get back on track, but do as much as we can for each other, and it's like, yeah, it's getting hard, but it's, it's somehow it's still... Springdale has the highest concentration of Marshallese than the rest of the continental U.S., The Marshallese community in northwest Arkansas received more attention in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic because of the housing crisis sweeping through the community. Langren says phones were ringing off the hook, and she was assisting about 20 families daily. She says although this issue lessened, it still lingers. I think just this month, I've been dealing with just two clients, as opposed to probably like 50, so like 50 families and an average Marshallese family would probably be like nine or ten. The most I've seen was probably like 18 but that's like with a really big house but you know most of the Marshallese families do live in apartments. The average price of rent in the region is $860 according to a Skyline report. Langren says she has seen some families pay $350 more a month for rent and some are thinking about not renting anymore. I think now the Marshes, they're really interested in learning how to own a home because there are a lot of families that have been here since the 80s, but they're renting. They've been renting since they got here. 
As the region's housing prices and rent rates rise, Eldon Alec, the Consul General for the Republic of the Marshall Islands, says some workers cannot find an affordable place to live. But I, I know a lot of Marshallers live in hotels and motels because they just can't find an apartment here. And to me, it's kind of sad because in a lot of Marshallers, they, they work in these industries, they drive these economy. But then there's really no, no housing for them. Some live in hotels because they are looking for available housing and others do not want to worry about additional expenses. Alex says most community members live in a multi-generational setting and housing on the Marshall Islands is different. For instance, there are not any apartments. He says most people have a home of their own. So there's no lease. Uh, there's no uh, lease to read and follow guidelines. And a lot of Marshallese don't, they probably don't read the lease. They just come and, you know, sign up for an apartment and sign it. And, you know, they do a lot of things that are against the lease. So that's like a strike against them. This problem in the community is not only because of the trend in the region's market or the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Alex says not many people know their rights as a tenant. Well, we've had uh, tenant rights classes. But uh, th the thing is a lot of people don't show up. We have these classes and... We have like know your rights at work, all that stuff. A lot of people don't show up, and I, I don't know the reason, but uh, so we just need to continue. I'm trying to figure out ways to reach the Marshallese community, to tell them that, hey, we need to learn. We need to learn these. For Alec, this is a steady process, and like him, Stephanie Takamru, the Arkansas Coalition of the Marshallese project manager, says people not knowing their rights and adjusting to how housing works in the region is part of the problem. She also says another piece of that puzzle are language barriers. I know that a lot of the folks that were trying to get the help were saying, hey, I didn't know that I could be kicked out of my house because my electricity got turned off. And... And we're like, okay, well, bring your lease, and then we go through the lease, and we're like, oh, yeah, it's specifically here on this line that if you don't pay your electricity and it gets shut off, you can be kicked out for that. And so there's a language barrier there. Langren says another example of this is the Arkansas's failure to vacate law. Arkansas is the only state that allows landlords to file criminal charges against tenants if they fail to pay rent. If a renter receives a notice from their landlord and does not leave after 10 days, they can be charged with a misdemeanor. For Takamru, seeing displaced families and how that impacts children serves as a reminder that this issue is not going to rapidly go away in the community, region, or across the country. But we shouldn't ignore this. We should, you know, acknowledge that there is a housing crisis and there should be a resolution. Um, Adults, yes, I understand we can, you know, survive, but it's those kids that my heart really does go out to, you know, especially when you have a great mom and dad that's taking care of the child, and now they're being displaced because they couldn't afford the house that they were on, and they have bad credit. That poor child's going to go into the judicial system, unfortunately. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope. Natural Election, the voter education podcast produced by KUAF Public Radio and Ozarks at Large has a new episode out today with an interview from Chris Jones, Democrat candidate for governor of Arkansas. You can hear that conversation, our rundown of all four of the ballot measures, and an explainer of the power and authority of a county quorum court by looking up Natural Election on your podcast app of choice or by heading to KUAF.com slash vote. Plus, 
On that website, you can find more information about sample ballots, where you can vote early, and much more. Speaking of early voting, in Arkansas, early voting began yesterday. It will continue until the day before Election Day on November 8th. The University of Arkansas will be opening Bud Walton Arena to early voting again this year. On-campus voting in Bud Walton Arena takes place tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, from 8 until 6 each day. Parking will be available in nearby Lot 62. And we mentioned on yesterday's show that early voting in Oklahoma doesn't begin until November 2nd. But listeners registered to vote in Missouri can begin in-person early voting today. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, welcoming classic country rock group Nitty Gritty Dirt Band to the auditorium in Eureka Springs this Friday, October 28th. Band hits include Mr. Bojangles, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, House at Pooh Corner, and more. Tickets at tickets.thundertix.com. The Arkansas International and the University of Arkansas Program in Creative Writing and Translation present their fall 2022 Walton Distinguished Visiting Writer, Kay Ming Chang, author of the story collection Gods of Want and the novel Bestiary. Chang presents a reading November 2nd at 7 p.m. at the Fayetteville Public Library as part of the True Lit Festival. More at faylib.org slash events. Still to come on this Tuesday, Ozarks at Large. Our militant grammarian, Catherine Sherlds, is busy constructing a new season of word facts, games, and puzzles for us. But today, we go back a bit in time to celebrate Halloween with her. We'll start out with some Halloween trivia questions. By what name is a witch's pet cat or toad known? From which words did bonfire originate? What's the color order? of a piece of candy corn from the base to the point. The militant grammarian has been on a break and is coming back soon, but today we again hear a session dedicated to words about ghosts, goblins, and all things scary and Halloween. That's still to come on today's show. Writer Baratunde Thurston says voting isn't enough. This experiment called democracy, it needs you to keep showing up. This is incumbent on all of us. It takes two. It takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two <laughs> to knock it out of sight. And both parties in a national level discourse, both sides have to still remain committed to the relationship. How to be a good citizen. That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. You can hear the TED Radio Hour Sunday afternoon at 1 on 91.3 KUAF, and you can find a schedule of all of our weekend programs by going to KUAF.com. For many, a college education is a major lifeline into the workforce. But one company is looking to change that mindset. The Stable is a marketing agency who is launching a program called No College, No Worries in Northwest Arkansas. I spoke to CEO Chad Hetherington and Grace Slaybaugh, the company's first member of this program, last week, and started by asking Chad to explain the program. Uh, it was a, a program we launched a year ago. Um, our, our headquarters is here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I actually didn't go to college. Uh, I grew up in Australia and um, I went straight to the workforce almost the day after high school and just kind of figured my way through uh, my whole, uh, I guess, last 20 years um, to to where I am now. And um, through that process, I just found that it was really about learning on the job. It was about having mentors and having people around me that could challenge me, um, open up doors for me. And 
you know, we figured that that would be a really cool thing to do within our agency. We, we strongly believe that if you bring in the right talent into an agency like The Stable, we can surround that person with incredible people and talent who can teach people that want to be successful, you know, the tricks of the trade. And um, we, we decided to launch this program, No College, No Worries, last year, uh, just to look for applicants outside of the traditional route. Because I think through my career and, and others, it's, it's harder uh, to maybe find full-time employment within, you know, an organization if you didn't go to college. And so we wanted to break down that barrier and open up the door for someone and give them an opportunity to come in, uh, learn the ropes and you know, become a, a superstar in business. And so we launched that a year ago. We had hundreds and hundreds of applications and uh, we're fortunate to find Grace, uh, who joined us uh, earlier this year. And it's been an incredible program to, to put together. As someone who is not a native of America, have you found that there's a different stigma from Australia to the U.S. when we think of getting a college degree and needing that in order to be a quote unquote productive part of the workforce? I do. Yeah. I, um, I, I think here in the U S it certainly feels like it's sort of a necessity for people versus in Australia where I grew up. It's just not, I wouldn't say it's not as important. It just, it's more about the individual than, than, than maybe what it says on the resume. And so that was certainly a learning curve as I came here. And, you know, personally, as an employer for many years, I've, I've never really looked at someone's college education, which, which maybe is the wrong thing, because I know that how hard it is to go through those four years and pay for school. But uh, yeah, I, you know, for me, it's always been around the individual and, and, and less about less about the piece of paper. So it's certainly been an interesting journey over the last 15 years that I've lived here in, this, in the U.S. where uh, a lot of employers really do just look at, you know, where you went to school uh, as maybe the first uh, decision maker. And, and I think that's the wrong one. Grace, what inspired you to apply for this position and what surprised you the most about the process? It kind of was just a long story of things just falling into place. Long story short, I knew I had talents and skills and I knew I wanted to do something different and running into that traditional like screening. Oh, what's your four year must have a bachelor's that kind of kicked me off a lot of, you know, different opportunities. So digging around in LinkedIn, kind of seeing what's out there. I'm very particular on what I want to do and who I want to work with. So it wasn't just, I want to, you know, work in an agency. It's like what I wanted the right fit. So I was looking around, saw this program that spoke to, the individual, the grit, the tenacity, as opposed to what I did in the past. Um, and it's really big for me to not talk about necessarily what, what I don't have. It's about what I have, you know, what I can bring to the table, what we all bring to the table collectively as individuals doesn't necessarily revolve around, you know, a four year here, a two year here. Like that's just not necessarily part of it. Um, the thing that surprised me the most about the experience and whatnot, I really appreciated prior to being accepted, the time that I got to spend chatting with leadership members, I met with a couple different individuals on the leadership team, just to kind of hear about what they're thinking of it, what if we felt like a good fit, that was really great to experience. And then getting into it, I was blown away by it since day one, every single person was just ecstatic to help me to be there to be part of the experience. Every single mentor I had, I had mentors from senior leadership all across the board. And for them to be acting in such a way that I was excited that I was there was really 
really touching that they were really re ready to put the work in. It wasn't just Chad having this vision and everybody kind of just, you know, followed suit. It was truly that everybody was really involved in the success of the program. Chad, were you surprised by how many applicants you got the first time around? I was. I certainly thought that uh, it would it would catch on a little bit, but maybe not to the level that it did. I think it really just resonated at the right time, given kind of what we'd all gone through the last couple of years. And I think for people that, again, maybe were under you know lockdown times and 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 couldn't get out there and network and you know do those things you know for an opportunity like this to come up I, I just think was 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 really good timing grace i heard you say in the video that uh, part of the job you like the most category management uh you didn't know existed six months ago <laughs> what word of encouragement would you have to people who are nervous about not feeling like they even know what they'd be getting into with a job like this Oh my goodness. There are so many parts of agency that I didn't know existed. Like it was wild to hear about roles. I'm like, oh my gosh, somebody actually does that. That's really neat. I would say if you're nervous about it to think about what you enjoy doing, not necessarily like with a business specifically, but do like, I personally enjoy synthesizing data and like giving a report back and thinking about those type of things that you like those will translate to multiple parts of the business. There were several different departments that I enjoyed. Category management was the, the one I enjoyed the most, but there were areas of opportunity that I could see myself excelling in across the board that, again, didn't know months ago that existed. And again, we don't often see these opportunities come up in front of you to be like, oh, yeah, that's something I could do. I knew that existed. So just diving in head first, give it a go. That's what I would say. Chad, why Northwest Arkansas? Uh, we have an office there. We actually have a, a, a good presence there. I think um, you know, probably 50 to 75 people now uh, in, in Northwest Arkansas. And, you know, we're always looking to change things up a little bit and do things different. And, um, you know, I, I think Northwest Arkansas is probably a second largest hub uh, now and um, figured that was a, a good spot to to bring this program next to. And, you know, from the conversations that I've had with leadership, in Northwest Arkansas on my side, you know, there, there's a ton of talent in that town. And, um, you know, we, we actually think we're probably going to get more applicants um, than, than we did the first time around. Do you think you're going to get a lot of folks who may have only done one year of school and just like for financial reasons couldn't finish or just couldn't find really their niche when it came to college? What kind of uh, folks are you expecting to apply for these sorts of positions here? Yeah, I mean, I think similar to the Twin Cities, it, it, it is really a, a mix of all. Some people that, that maybe had dropped out after, you know, a short time or a short, short stint, some that maybe felt it wasn't right for them and didn't complete, you know, the, the full two to four years. But I do believe there'll be a ton of applicants there that also didn't have the opportunity to go to college because of, you know, the price point, because of health reasons, whatever the case may be who, you know, are in or around the town there, you know, that will see this as that opportunity that they've been waiting for. Chad, in what ways do you think other companies or organizations could benefit from this sort of program? You know, Northwest Arkansas is the home of the largest retailer in the world. They, heard, probably, they probably hire a ton of folks who don't have college degrees, right? Do you see yourself partnering with someone like uh, Walmart or JB Hunt, also a place where a lot of truck drivers don't have, you know, college degrees. There's there's a lot of potential for partnerships there, right? 
I, I agree. Yeah, I, I think certainly as we're looking towards the future, that's where we can see this program going, which is um, how do we take the platform of no college, no worries and the training and learning that we've kind of developed over the last few years and how do we go and partner with other organizations and other employers by different sectors or regions and 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 make this you know not only a, a national program but a global program and and how do we really help bridge the gap again from finding talent in unique places and just creating new opportunities and i think certainly that's how we're thinking about it going forward less about hey just come and work for the stable and we'll teach you how to be in an agency but more broadly how do we have a variety of uh, employers that can participate in this program to give um you know, individuals, um, uh, different uh, different companies to maybe choose to who they want to work for. Um, so we're we're certainly looking at it more from a plat- platform perspective. You know, in in the future for sure. But we'll partner with Walmart for sure. They, they wanna, <laughs> That's good. They wanna... <laughs> Grace, when you think about your time doing this sort of work, what has been the hardest part of this? I would say that the hardest part I I enjoy learning new things like throw new things at me all the time I think the hardest part was the first initial like roughly three months where every week you have a new job essentially so that's navigating new team new um new set of skills which is really fun and exciting but you know week after week you wake up Monday you're like all right who's my boss today What, what are we working on and then kind of rolling that all together by end of week to put together some sort of project or presentation, which is challenging and rewarding. But I would say that was the the part that kept me on my toes the most. Yeah, I would say that also I really appreciated that the program program was open-ended. There wasn't a, I even asked this question very specifically of leaders when I was interviewing, is the idea of this just to like, we did it and plop you in a spot. Like what was, what was the measure of success? Uh, I wanted to make sure that I felt like it was mutually beneficial. So it was open-ended we were in constant communication of like what was working what i liked more and i actually did like the idea that if at the end of the program it didn't work i I didn't love it we didn't like there wasn't a spot that i felt was i would excel in there would have been no hard feelings and i'm Mm. so excited that i found something that i love and i'm sticking around and this is what we're doing but the idea that you weren't roped into something that i didn't owe anybody something other than a shot at a good, you know, to show you what I could do was really, that was really appealing to me. I, I would just say that certainly just to, you know, we, we certainly are encouraging everybody to, to to seriously look at this program and, you know, regardless of their background, where they grew up, how they grew up, you know, we're just looking for people who are hungry, who are su- uh, excited about building a successful career and are willing to learn. And and that's really what this is about. And so we're really encouraging people to go to nocollegenoworries.com and check this program out and apply. And uh, and hopefully they'll be, they'll be joining us uh, come early 2023. Chad Hetherington is the CEO of The Stable, and Grace Slaybaugh is Executive Apprentice. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A ghostly light in southeast Arkansas is reputed to have supernatural origins. Found along the former location of railroad tracks near Crossit, the light usually floats two or three feet above the ground, but sometimes moves side to side or rises into the treetops. It disappears when one nears it, soon reappearing the same distance away. This spook light, 
similar to ones reported near Gurdon in Clark County and in Missouri, is said to be the lantern of an unfortunate railroad worker whose head was cut off in an accident and who now wanders the former tracks in search of it. Others claim the Crosset Light is associated with extraterrestrial activity. More mundane explanations hold that the light is caused by swamp gas, or by the headlights of cars altered by an incline in the land. The headlight theory, though, is debunked by the fact that the lights were reported in the early 1900s, long before cars were common. Regardless, the ghostly crosslet light continues to delight visitors who go looking for it. To learn more, visit EncyclopediaOfArkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large. This weekend includes plenty of trick-or-treating. And Friday on our show, Becca Martin-Brown, the features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, will give us as much of a Halloween rundown as she has time for. But right now, let's look a little bit further ahead to the first weekend of November. Historic Cane Hill will host the full-day set of Inspired by Nature activities on Saturday, November 5th. There will be a nature writing workshop with Jeffrey Davis and Tony Jensen. They'll also be reading from their work later. The workshop is from 10 until noon. There will also be a natural ingredients cooking demonstration with Heather from Ozark Natural Foods. That's from 1 until 2. An outdoor yoga session beginning at 3 that afternoon. And a forest bathing walk that's inspired by a traditional Japanese forest therapy. Some of these events have a limited capacity. All of them take place Saturday, November 5th at Historic Cane Hill. More information can be found at historiccanehill.org slash inspired by nature. Friday, November 4th, the Vienna Boys Choir will perform in Joplin as part of this season's Pro Musica series. The concert at Central Christian Center will include music from Mozart and Schubert as well as folk music from around the world. This is the only ticketed event of the Pro Musica season. Tickets are $15. You can find out more by going to Eventbrite and searching for Vienna Boys Choir in Joplin. All right, now let's go back to Saturday, November 5th. Downtown Springdale will observe Celebración del Día Muertos on the 5th. That's from noon until 7 at Shiloh Square. Traditional observations, traditional music, traditional dance, all part of the afternoon and evening. All events are free. All events will be held outside. Kyle, I want to give a quick stipulation. Where I grew up, we pronounced that Vienna, so that's why you heard me stumbling on that. It is Vienna normally, but in Illinois we say Vienna. I, uh, you know, I mean, here we have Stuttgart in right. Arkansas. I mean... You know, every state has its own. Heck, it's Houston Street in New York City. Yeah, that's very true. So everyone's true. a little bit different. That's true. Cut me some slacks, folks. I why I stumbled on Japanese, I can't tell you why. <laughs> I just I just stumbled. All right, and Sunday, November sixth, the Fayetteville Public Library will host a bilingual presentation of Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf, as presented by Sona, and as part of the 2022 True Lit Festival at the library. The all ages concert can serve as an introduction to the instruments of the orchestra for younger patrons, and will include narration in both Spanish and English. The hour-long performance will be in the library's event center and is free. Okay, I want to ask you one more thing about growing up in Illinois. Okay. If you got the little tin can of itty-bitty sausages, mm-hmm. what did you call those? Oh, we called them Vienna sausages. Oh. Is that what they're called? I don't know. That's what I called I them. I grew up calling them Vienna sausages. I mean, that's probably because okay. you did not grow up near Vienna, Illinois. What's the biggest thing to do in Vienna, Illinois? Uh, get beaten baseball. <laughs> okay. Very good.
Historic Cane Hill will host a day-long program inspired by nature November 5th featuring nature writing workshop and craft talk with authors Jeffrey Davis and Tony Jensen. It's for writers of all skill levels and will focus on drawing inspiration from nature. Other activities include a forest therapy hike, outdoor yoga, lunch, and a cooking demonstration with Ozark Natural Foods. For more, historiccaneHillAR.org. Theater Squared presents Detroit 67, a funny, fiery drama set to a Motown beat. In 1960s Detroit, siblings open an after-hours joint in their home to make ends meet. Filled with humor, history, and heart, this award-winning play is on stage through November 6th, 777-7477, or theater2.org for tickets. Good Tuesday, this is... Ozarks at Large. Arkansas's flowering CBD hemp industry, which took root after federal hemp deregulation in 2018, has withered. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us to a state-licensed Ozarks hemp farm still in operation to learn more. Bill Morgan is founder of Biogen LLC, a research hemp farm doing business as Ozark Mountain Medicine. He was licensed in 2019 in Arkansas to grow hemp on his gated farm, located in western Washington County near the Illinois River. So I've got about 250 plants out in this particular field that are actually grown in the ground. Morgan grows a variety of cannabis. Sativa starts from selected proprietary seed in his greenhouse, which he transplants late spring into a field in half-submerged bottomless barrels filled with certified organic microbial-rich soil, a crop he's almost finished harvesting. Yes, I sequentially harvest, so I only harvest what's completely ripe. I take the best top buds off of the plant. These hemp cultivars produce alien-looking flowers containing trichomes dripping with cannabinoid-rich resin processed into cannabidiol, or CBD. We walk past more hemp plants, these grown in 45-gallon canvas bags, outside and inside Morgan's greenhouse. He cures harvested plants inside a temperature-controlled secure facility filled this morning with freshly cut bundles of fragrant hemp flower stems suspended from racks. We're in a thousand square foot drying room. This is where I bring the plants in, hang them up, and they go through about a two-week drying period. That's where I get it, clean it up, put it into containers where it's cured until I ship it to the processor in Little Rock who does the CO2 extraction. Yielding high-quality, full-spectrum CBD processed into tinctures and topical salves. Morgan retails his products at Ozark Natural Foods and sells online at Ozark Mountain Medicine. The Food and Drug Administration warned, however, against using CBD even as a nutraceutical, yet FDA several years ago approved the sale of expensive pharmaceutical CBD prescribed to treat seizure disorders. More patents are pending, but new independent scientific studies show that cannabidiol has demonstrated anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties which may boost immunity, can reduce anxiety and depression, and help promote sleep. CBD has one job in your body, and that is to create homeostasis or balance. That balance is made possible by human endocannabinoid receptors located in the central nervous system, able to lock onto hemp cannabinoids and terpenes, producing what's called the entourage effect, a feeling of well-being. 
Morgan says marijuana alters the body due to an intoxicating compound called tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, while medicinally grown hemp enhances the body. The evidence is in CBD sales, according to Statista.com. Consumers in 2022 are expected to spend $4.17 billion on CBD oil and edibles this year. Yet, taking a seat in the greenhouse, Morgan says this could be his last year as a medicinal hemp farmer in Arkansas. We started with 125. Um, We are now 11 of us in the whole state of Arkansas. Referring to the last few licensed hemp growers still in production in Arkansas, we emailed the Arkansas Department of Agriculture Hemp Program for data. 27 hemp growers were licensed in 2022 to cultivate 126 acres of hemp, but only 15 acres were actually planted this season, a steep decline from the 125 growers first licensed in 2019. All states with approved hemp programs have experienced a significant decrease in licensed growing this year, including Kentucky, among the largest producers with 450 licensed growers. I have product still from the first year, and so I have 2021 crop and the one I'm bringing in right now, you know, to market. So this new avenue of finding wholesale contacts, you know, is going to be the make or break for me. This is the make or break year. Establishing a hemp growing operation to supply the CBD market is expensive. Licensed growers must comply with strict rules to handle, process, store, and market hemp plants, seed, leaf, or floral material per the Arkansas Hemp Production Act of 2021. As of last year, industrial hemp farming is now approved in all 50 states, resulting in a growing surplus of raw cannabis specifically cultivated to produce CBD products. A lot of people in a lot of other states overproduced, and so the industry is still saturated with uh, the dumping of all this material onto the market. So it just pulled the bottom out of the price point, and we're still working our way through that. An abundance of low-cost, lower-quality medicinal CBD products are now widely sold in retail drug and big-box stores. I chose not to dilute my product, so the product that I have on the market is the most concentrated that is available. So the price point is higher, and a lot of people that aren't familiar with it want to get into the CBD at a lower price point. And the consumer is not really doing the math of what is this product costing me per milligram. Mine is the cheapest per milligram, although it's the most expensive on the shelf. As a pioneering Arkansas hemp farmer and consultant, Morgan believes it will take consumer demand for high-quality medicinal hemp for the industry to blossom. Hemp, however, continues to suffer by association when it was outlawed in the U.S. in 1937 due to its resemblance as a cannabis species to marijuana. Centuries preceding that, hemp was widely grown to make cloth, rope, and paper in China, Europe, and by early Americans. But it took a 21st century import surge in the U.S. of hemp clothing, shoes, soap, cosmetics, food, and nutraceuticals last year valued at $87 million for the Fed to begin to deregulate hemp in 2018. Again, Bill Morgan. Cannabis as a fiber or a seed crop, we have the delta. And it's just a matter of industry 
you know, we're in a catch-22. Industry wants the farmers to grow it. The farmers want industry to buy it. I think it's going to take government coming in and making that link, you know, to make this industry happen because we have a great state for both. You know, the medicinal can grow in the marginal land that's up in the mountains that has clean soil, and the fiber can be grown down on agricultural land. There's also early research that indicates that planting hemp for fiber crops could have ecological benefits. You know, hemp is a bioremediator, so um, you can grow hemp on your toxic, you know, chemical agro land for two years with cover crops in between and be certified organic. It pulls all of it out of the soil. It's a fantastic plant. It's a carbon sequester and a bioremediator. You can use all parts of the plant. I'm just, you know, hoping to live long enough to see the acceptance again of this plant. We queried the Arkansas Hemp Program Manager. Sarah Cato, Public Information Officer for the Arkansas Department of Agriculture, responded via email. She says the few attempts to grow fiber hemp crops in Arkansas have failed, although many farmers remain interested, she says. Arkansas's hemp program strictly licenses cultivation of hemp seed, grain, fiber, and cannabinoids. Medicinal CBD nor medicinal hemp are defined in Arkansas law or program rules, Cato says. As for a hemp slump, she cites an oversupply of hemp cannabinoids and shortage of hemp processors, which currently number 13 in Arkansas, a decline of nearly 50 percent since 2020. But there's another industry threat. According to USDA rules, any licensed hemp crop found to contain more than 0.3 percent THC has to be destroyed, even though that increment is far from intoxicating. Cato says in previous years, many licensed hemp growers in Arkansas had to destroy their crop due to noncompliant THC levels. She says there were none this year, but that can be attributed to a dearth of growers now. Bill Morgan believes raising the THC level for hemp by an increment could help to revive the hemp industry in Arkansas. The EU's been at 0.2, but they're trying to move to 0.3. We're moving from 0.3 to probably 0.7 or as high as 1%, which get, allows the other cannabinoids to fully mature. I have to, I have to bring mine in sometimes early because my THC cannot exceed 0.3%. The federally proposed Hemp Advancement Act of 2022, if approved by Congress, could raise the THC threshold for hemp, which could help more growers across the country to keep their crops, but that likely won't raise the prospects for industrial hemp farming in Arkansas to supply both cannabinoids and fiber markets. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. On tomorrow's edition of Ozarks at Large, stop us if this sounds familiar. A one-hour daily show designed to keep people informed about what's happening here. This show, Good Day NWA, has cameras, too. We chat with the producer and hosts of the show. We're still figuring that out, too, but I think even from the start, it was like, I mean, we didn't really know each other mm-hmm. before we started the show together. So figuring that out, figuring the footprint of our on-air personalities, kind of like what we are, but we're really just ourselves on TV. So it's just kind of worked well, and we love it. And I think we're both united in, like, the things that we love. So, like, we love the community. Mm -hmm. We love showcasing all that. We love to know why you're doing what you're doing. And I think that really shows that genuineness. Like, we really are genuinely excited for you and excited to know more about your story. So I think that helps.
Jason Sewell and Jacqueline House talk with us about producing a daily hour-long program all about Northwest Arkansas on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. Kyle, did you know I have a really interesting story about Jason Sewell? I did not know that. Okay, so so my wife grew up in central Arkansas. and when oh, he's she, from Camden. Yeah. Yeah. When she was in middle school, Jason Sewell was my wife's youth pastor. Did not know that. Yeah, yeah. I have not had a chance to like sit down and tell Jason that myself. Maybe he'll hear this story and put the connection together. Um, that's my that's my fascinating story about Jason Sewell. Well, Jason and Jacqueline were were so uh, kind to come in this week and talk about the show, and um, it's kind of nerve wracking what they do. Yeah, I, you've been there. I have been there a couple different times, and uh, it's one of those things where you think you know what you're going to talk about, and then you forget <laughs> how little time you have to talk about it. And it's a very different it's a very different timing and feel than it is here on the radio. Right. In fact, Jacqueline asked me about that. She said, so you're an hour, but you don't have commercials, so your conversations are longer? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good problem to have sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Uh, so that's on tomorrow's show at noon and 7. And don't forget, you can listen whenever you're able by uh, activating the free Ozarks at Large podcast. On the next Reflections podcast. The Reflections team takes a moment to reflect on the past two years of music and creative justice programming. Uh, We have been affected by the power of our own work and our connections with artists, uh, communities, uh, the university, our students. So uh, we today just want to share with you, our audience, uh, our experiences, our own reflections as a team. Plus, we preview the Reflections music series, Tertulia, happening in Northwest Arkansas, October 30th through November 4th, featuring Pepe Rivero's reimagining of Vivaldi's The Four Seasons into Los Cuatro Estaciones del Latin Jazz, The Four Seasons of Latin Jazz. Learn more about the Reflections music series, Tertulia, at reflectionsmusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large here to help me get us all spookified <laughs> for Halloween time is our militant grammarian, Catherine Sherrill. Welcome back. Thanks. Are you planning to go any, to any Halloween parties? I am. I am. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I'm actually going to a casino, but... <laughs> it's always a Halloween party. <laughs> right. There's always great costumes uh, at a there casino. There are, actually. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if you'll be playing any games there, but um, to make up for that, We'll, let's let's play some Halloween games. I love it. We'll start out with some Halloween trivia questions. Okay. Then we'll devolve into some silly stuff. <laughs> As we are wont to do. Yes. By what name is a witch's pet cat or toad known? Oh, I don't think I know this. I bet you do when you hear. You mean it. like a per, a, a proper name? Uh, like a, a a collective name. Like if a witch had seven cats, a coven. No. No, that's a witch. Yeah, yeah that's witches. It's like, um, yeah, I can't. I, okay. It's a familiar. You've oh, heard that. I've heard that, but I don't think I really knew I, that. I would never have come yeah. up with that, but I think okay. I have heard it related to witches. From which words did bonfire originate? It's something about 
burning bones? Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was a large open-air fire on which bones were burnt, yep. either as a ceremony like a funeral or for burning heretics or banned books. You're going to kick yourself if you don't get this one. Uh-oh. What's the color order of a piece of candy corn from the base to the point? Oh, that's such a great question. <laughs> Bottom is black. Uh, well, some are, okay. but traditional candy corn. Okay, so then the top is black. There's no black in a traditional one. <laughs> All right, orange in the middle. Uh, yes. Okay. And what on top? Yellow. Yellow's on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So it goes yellow, orange, green? White. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, start kicking yourself. That's a bar bet <laughs> waiting to happen right there. It is. Yeah. And, the, uh, and it's interesting you said black because I... Even though I know they're like M&M's, they all taste the same. Mm-hmm. You just think, I want the green ones. You know? Right. Um, I, I, I always pick out the ones with the black bottom instead hmm. of the, the um, what is The it? yellow? Yeah. White. No, white. No, 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 no. White's at the top. Yellow. Yellow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Candy corn was invented by a Philadelphia candy maker in the 1880s. It was originally called buttercream candies or chicken feed. Yeah. Because corn was common, corn, real corn, was commonly used as food for livestock. Ad men changed the name after World War II to better market the candy. And it worked. Yep. Boy, did it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Kyle, you've shown your Halloween savvy. Now let's get silly. Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) How about some Halloween puns? Mm. Let's go. I'll give you a clue to a well-known saying, and you guess what it is, then change it to make a pun. For instance... If I ask you what toast people sometimes give at Christmas time, you would say, eat, drink, and... Be merry. Right. Now, substitute merry for a word that makes it a Halloween toast. Eat, drink, and be scary. Yeah. I like it. Okay. A few decades ago, Bonnie Raitt had a hit song in which a woman prodded a man to encourage some gossip. Yeah. Do you know what that is? Um, Let's give them... Something to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, substitute a Halloween word. As opposed to let's give them something to talk about, let's give them something to... No, wrong word. Let's give them... I don't know. Something. Something's the word I'm trying Mm -hmm. to... Let's give them... Halloween. A Halloween word that rhymes with or could be in a... I, I don't know. Spice. Nutmeg. That doesn't make <laughs> no, any sense. No, no. This time of year, spice. Pumpkin. Let's yeah. give them something to pumpkin about. <laughs> Let's give them oh, pumpkin. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Let's give them pumpkin to <laughs> okay, talk about. Okay, yes. <laughs> if you were with a bunch of adults who loved margaritas, what might you say to the person answering the door on Halloween hmm. when you knocked? Trick or... Trigger tequila. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I had to get there. I had to get there, yes. (laughs) This one has two puns in it. Mm -hmm. Imagine Marilyn Monroe singing a Halloween version of her standard about jewels that women adore. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. That's it. Well, girl's going to go to ghoul. Right. So diamonds, but diamonds are a ghoul's best friend. Uh Uh-huh. But instead of diamonds... Demons are a ghoul's best friend. Demons are a ghoul's best friend. Uh, 
If Bob Hope had been a vampire, how might he have begun his famous theme song? Fangs for the memories. Oh, God. Yes, you got it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Finally, Kyle. Yes. Getting off the puns. Um, Remember last week when I talked about playing Hink Pinks with my granddaughter? Yes. It's a game of clues where the answer is two words that rhyme. Yeah. So here are some Halloween-themed Hink Pinks. Okay. And I'll warn you, some of them are hard. Okay. The website didn't give the answers, and I had to cheat with Rhyme Zone on some of them. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll start with Hink Pinks. Each word is one syllable. A spirit's brag. Ghost boast. Right. An evil spirit's hammer and wrench. Ghoul's tools. Yes. Now some hinky pinkies. So two, two syllables. syllables. Mm-hmm. A hag's trousers. Which is britches. Yep. A limping ghost. Mm. Limping. I had to go to rhyme zone for this one. Spirit. Is spirit the word I'm looking for here? Okay. I'm going to give you the the ghost part. Goblin. A hobbling goblin. A hobbling goblin. Goblin. (laughs) So that's a limping ghost. Yeah. Is a goblin a ghost? Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess, I guess it is. What else could it be? A bloodsucker's evening light. And this is just two syllables? Mm, two each. Yeah. Two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Vampires. Campfire. Yes. Oh, Man, like it took me one. forever to get that one. An embalmed bodies card games. Corpses. Card games. No, the, the embalmed bodies that get up and walk around. Oh, zombies. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> An embalmed? Undead? No. An embalmed body that walks around. Uh, very old, very ancient. Mummy. Mm-hmm. Mummy's rummy. Yes. Mummy's rummies? Yep. Okay. <laughs> A country person's jack-o'-lantern. Boris Karloff was the first to play the mummy. <laughs> what now? What did you say? Country person. A country person's jack-o'-lanterns. Bumpkins, pumpkins. Yeah. <laughs> I love the word bumpkin. I do too. That's one of my favorite. Wonderful treats. Wow. Get the treats part first. Candy? Dandy candy. Dandy candy, yeah. And finally, hinkety pinkities. Three? Three syllables each. A bony frameworks jiggly desserts. <laughs> okay, give me the first part again. A bony framework, possessive frameworks, jiggly desserts. So we're talking jello? Skeletons, gelatins? Yes, mm. right. A vampire's shoulder blades. Shoulder blades? Is that like, what rhymes with tra- Dracula? I thought that was clavicle, but I think that's the that's, that, that's the, sh- uh, the collarbone. Right. I think. Specula? Or? No. Yeah, I don't know. Uh Scapula. Scapula. Mm-hmm. Dracula's scapula. Dracula's scapula. Hmm. Okay, Kyle, have a fantastic <laughs> Halloween. I wouldn't make a skeleton joke, but I'm afraid you wouldn't find it humorous. I might boo, however. Milton <laughs> <laughs> Grammarian is Catherine Sherlds. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, welcoming classic country rock group Nitty Gritty Dirt Band to the auditorium in Eureka Springs this Friday, October 28th. Band hits include Mr. Bojangles, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, House at Pooh Corner, and more. 
Tickets at tickets.thundertix.com. The Be Aware Allergy-Friendly Halloween Extravaganza takes place October 29th, 10 a.m. to noon at the Fayetteville Public Library. Kids are invited to visit various allergy-friendly trick-or-treat stations around the library and enjoy games on the Gathering Glade. It creates a fun, inclusive, and safe place for children with and without food allergies. FAYLIB.org for more. Bentonville High School Theater presents Puffs by Matt Cox, October 27th through the 29th at the Errand Arts Center. In this hilarious parody of a familiar story about a famous boy wizard, three potential heroes are just trying to make it through seven years of magic school that proves to be very dangerous for children, but maybe not the group you're expecting. For play information, Bentonville High School Theater on Facebook. Trail Sisters Northwest Arkansas is excited to host the Northwest Arkansas Costume Run October 29th. This four-mile morning trail run at Kohler Mountain Bike Preserve will feature costume runners followed by a coffee gathering at Airship. Trail Sisters NWA welcomes runners of any experience level who identify as female or non-binary. For more, Trail Sisters NWA on Facebook. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Oak Grove. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Jacqueline Froelich, and Catherine Schultz. I'm Matthew Moore. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah, written and performed by Daryl Sean. Our underwriting director at KUAF is Ryan Versi. You can reach him if you are interested in underwriting with KUAF at Ryan at KUAF.com. Don't forget, you can always catch Ozarks at Large on your schedule by accessing our free Ozarks at Large podcast. It's available wherever you already get your podcast. You can also ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large, and then you will hear the most recent edition of our show. You can also go to OzarksAtLarge.com. There, you'll find complete past editions of our show, individual stories, interviews, pictures, links, and more. Is that every... No! There's the KUAF app. That's right. You can use the KUAF app. You can listen to KUAF 1. You can listen to KUAF 2, our all-classical 24-7 channel. KUAF 3 is jazz and local programming as well on there. KUAF app is easy and it's free to download. All of this free. And by the way, if you'd like to support all these free elements that make KUAF and all of our programming more accessible to you, you can always go to supportkuaf.com. All right. Thanks for being with us this Tuesday. We're back tomorrow at noon and 7 from the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us and be well.